If you have your Bibles today, would you turn to Genesis chapter 16? Genesis chapter 16. The story is told of an elderly grandfather who was very, very wealthy. And he was in fairly good health for his age, except that his hearing was failing him. And so he decided one day to purchase hearing aids. And two weeks later, he returned to the audiologist so that she could make final adjustments. Well, how do you like your new hearing aids, she asked. The elderly man said, I like them very much. Why, I can now pick up conversations quite easily, even in the next room. The audiologist was delighted. She said, your family members must be delighted and happy to know that you can hear so much, much better. And the old man said with a smile, I haven't told them yet. I've just been sitting around listening. And do you know what? I've changed my will twice. <laughs> I've noticed our children are a lot more careful what they say since I got hearing aids too. <laughs> God sees and God hears and he knows all things. In fact, according to Psalm 139, God knows what you do. He knows what you think. He knows where you go. And he knows what you say. In fact, there is no place you can go in which God, who is all-knowing and everywhere present, is not there. Now, here's a question I ask you today. Is that reality a threat Or is that reality of God a comfort to you? Now, if you're one who is not in a right relationship to God, if you are one who's running from God, then his omniscience, his all-knowingness is a threat. Indeed, it should stir up fear. Fear because despite your pious outward appearances, God knows that inwardly you are merely playing religious games. I was kind of like that for many years as I came to church. And I was fearful, not so much maybe of God, but I was fearful of hell. Maybe fear because God knows the twisted motives and the hidden agendas behind all you do. Or fear because God knows every secret sin and every evil desire. Fear because all is open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account someday. According to Hebrews 3.13. Fear because one day you will stand before God on the day of judgment. And your whole miserable life will be judged on the basis of what is infallibly recorded in the books. But if you are a child of God here today, if you are trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, then there is also a great reverent fear of God. We should have that respect and awe of God. But God's omniscience, his all-knowingness, is a source of great comfort and joy. Comfort and joy because God knows you and your needs better than you know. And a comfort and joy because God's strength will not allow you to sink in a sea of trouble. In other words, God will be there if we trust in him. He will either 
help us through that sea of trouble or even prevent them, or he will give us a grace to see us through. Now, do you remember the story of Hagar? It's one we don't often look at, but in Genesis 16, if you would follow along, I'm going to read these verses from Genesis 16 about Hagar. <clears throat> and I'm going to just use the word term Sarah and Abraham, because that's what their name eventually becomes. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into your maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children through her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. And after Abraham had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abraham's wife Sarah took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband Abraham as his wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarah said to Abraham, May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abraham said to Sarah, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarah treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they shall be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. And he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live to the east of all his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, Thou art a God who sees me. For she said, Have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Therefore the well was called Bir Laheroi. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abraham called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. And Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. These are thy words, Heavenly Father, sanctify us in thy truth. Thy word is everlasting truth. Speak to our hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here is an account of a young woman who is pregnant and on the run from, from some very difficult and painful circumstances. You see, God had promised to Abraham back in chapter 15 that he would have an heir, 
that he would have a son. But it was to be a season of waiting. And I don't know about you, but we don't wait well, do we? (laughs) Sometimes we are to call and we need to wait upon God, but we don't wait very well. And as you may recall, again, Abraham and Sarah was unable to have children. At least Sarah was beyond childbearing years. And so Sarah gave Hagar, the Egyptian maid of Sarah, she gave Hagar to Abraham as a second wife. It's interesting that God God never refers to Hagar as Abraham's wife. He always refers to Hagar as Sarah's servant. Slave. I don't think God recognized maybe that marriage. Remember, God had said we only have one wife. But it's interesting in this account, as Sarah gives Hagar to her husband, and if Hagar were to become pregnant and bear a child, then according to custom, Sarah could claim and adopt the child as her own. And this decision by the way, of Sarah, not waiting upon God, but this decision not only brought conflict into their home, but it brought conflict into the world. Today we talk about the Arab-Israeli conflict. This is where it began, right here. Not waiting upon God, but running ahead. Sometimes we do that, don't we? We don't wait upon God. We just think we know what's best. We run ahead of God, and it leads to disaster. Well, Hagar became pregnant and began to look with contempt on Sarah, verses 4 and 5. After all, she was able to bear a child, whereas Sarah could not. And Sarah, notice, responded with how? With anger and bitterness. In essence, she said to herself, I am a woman of wealth and a woman of standing, whereas Hagar is only an Egyptian slave girl. Who does she think she is? And conditions quickly deteriorated. Sarah blamed Abraham. By the way, I want to note here when verse 2 it says, Sarah said to Abraham, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. I want to say there's a hint of blaming God. God has prevented me from having children. And now she turns and blames Abraham. Um... For the whole mess. Even though the entire scheme had been her idea to begin with. (laughs) Kind of goes back to the blame game going back to the Garden of Eden. Eve blaming Adam and Adam blaming Eve and ultimately blaming God. And Abraham in response to his wife's anger basically said to Sarah, Hagar is, Hagar is your servant. Do whatever you think best. Now, I think he was wimping out. He was to be the spiritual leader of the home. And yet he basically wimps out and says, do whatever you want. Do what you think is best. And then the Bible says in verse 6 that Sarah dealt harshly with Hagar. It's interesting the word harshly here is the same word that is used to describe how the Egyptian taskmasters treated the people of Israel. They were treated so harshly that they cried out to God for deliverance. And that's the same word that's used here, how 
Sarah treated Hagar. So what is Hagar to do? Well, the only viable solution she could see was to run from her intolerable circumstance and return to her home of Egypt. And run she did, finally arriving at the spring of water near the Egyptian border. And while she rested there at that place, feeling very much alone and overwhelmed, the angel of the Lord found her, it says in verse 7. If you have your Bibles open, the angel of the Lord found her. That's good news. See, God sees, and he is near, and he searches for us. The angel of the Lord found her. You see, in times of distress and fear and great need, you and I, like Hagar, discover that God is never far from any one of us. I'm sure there's many of you here today who have been have had times of distress, times of fear, times of great need. And I hope you discover that God is never far from you. And more than that, we discover or perhaps rediscover that God knows all about our past. He knows about our present journey, our present circumstance, and he knows what lies ahead of us just like he did for Hagar. And based upon his perfect, all-encompassing, eternal knowledge, God acts, and God acts for his glory and for our good. Don't you remember that when God acts, he does it for his glory, but for our good, because he loves us. In Hagar's case, the angel of the Lord, and I believe this angel of the Lord is very clear in our, in our text here today, that this is the second person of the Trinity. This is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ that appears, that comes to Hagar in her great need. Because later she refers to this angel as, uh, gives, gives this angel the name of, of God, the God who sees me. Not only, the angel says, not only um, this angel gives some amazing promises. Not, not only will you give birth to a son, but I will multiply your son's descendants to such an extent that no one will be able to count them. Oh, in the remembrance of, of this event, he said, you are to name him Ishmael. And what does Ishmael mean? God hears. God hears. In verses 10 and 11. And what was Hagar's instructive response? She rejoiced. She was filled with joy. But the Genesis account makes it clear that she did not rejoice primarily in the great prophecies regarding her son, although she undoubtedly was both amazed and very thankful. But instead, Hagar rejoiced in the presence of a gracious, omniscient God who cared for her. Indeed, at the end of the passage, she celebrates God's omniscience by giving this name to the Lord who had spoken to her, verse 13, the God who sees me. The God who sees me, for she said, I, have I even remained alive after having here, after seeing him? The God who sees me. 
Can you believe it? She shouts with joy. I have actually seen him who looks after me. And that, by the way, is the name she gave to the well where this encounter took place. A child of God, you who know the Lord today, rejoice in God's omniscience. Think about it. If God is indeed all-knowing, that means, for example, that he will never discover anything new about you, nor will he ever be surprised by anything you do. God's omniscience means that he knows the absolute worst about you, but he loves you eternally and fully through Jesus Christ. And he has saved you by his grace. You belong to him if you're trusting in Jesus. Furthermore, God's omniscience means that as a Christian, I can live and you can live your life in gospel freedom. No character flaw can suddenly come to light that God doesn't already know about. No long-forgotten skeleton stored away for years in some back closet of your life can suddenly tumble out and startle God. I didn't know that about him or her. No, that's not true. No, not even Satan himself can make any accusation against you that will cause God to have second thoughts about you. He loves you. He is a forgiving God as we live in daily repentance. His love is everlasting. And God perfectly knows what you and I are really like. In fact, he knows our frame. He knows and he remembers that we are but dust. Why, God knows you as well as that, so well that even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So take heart. His grace is always sufficient. His supply is always abundant. His timing is always perfect. And His faithfulness and mercies for you are new every morning. The last verse of our hymn today before our communion goes like this. Frail children of dust and feeble as frail. In thee do we trust, nor find thee to fail. Thy mercies, how tender, how firm to the end, our maker, defender, redeemer, and friend. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful, Lord, that you are a God who knows everything about us. You see us, just like you saw Hagar in her distress, her fear, her loneliness, you see us. And you are able to come to us, Lord. You are able to come and help us. Lord Jesus, today, each one here is either a child of yours or a child of Satan. And if we're not a child of God, then there ought to be fear. A fear of who you are. A fear of falling into the hands of a living God. But today, Lord, you invite us to come to you, to surrender all to you and to allow you to become our Savior and Lord and to cleanse us and free us from our sin and guilt. As a child of God, we should have great joy and comfort to know that you are all-knowing and everywhere present. You see us, Lord, and your grace is sufficient. 
for all of our needs. And so, Lord, with thankful hearts, we thank you that you are a God who loves us with an everlasting love. And we pray, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts to us. We receive the Lord's Supper today. May we come with humble hearts, recognizing, Lord, that we are sinful apart from you, but, Lord, in Jesus Christ, our sins have been forgiven. We just want to commit, Lord, this message and this day into your hands. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.